All right, welcome back. Thank you for allowing me a few moments of your time today here on Christian Tactician Podcast. Again, my name is Adam Yates, and I'm a minister in the Church of Christ, Temple Lot, a member of the Phoenix Local, assistant pastor there. I'm grateful to have an opportunity to spend a few moments talking to you about something that I'm really passionate about. I find myself incredibly passionate about encouraging men to be men, especially in the world that we live in. It's a, a difficult world. It's a frustrating world. It's one where... If we, uh, if we don't pattern ourselves after Christ, and if we don't find ourselves being willing to take up the mantle of responsibility, the mantle of manhood, we're going to find ourselves failing in every aspect of our life. Our society is indicative of the failure of men. And uh, we've noticed, we noticed throughout our society, and it's well established that when men begin to fail, fail as husbands, fail as fathers, fail to take up their responsibilities, an entire society Entire generations begin to fail. And so that's really what I want to talk about in encouraging you and encouraging you to uh, take up the responsibility that God gave you. God made you a man. He did it with purpose. He did it with intent. He did it knowing that you could accomplish every challenge that he set before you, that he put you in a position, uniquely in a position to accomplish his will and his purpose. And uh, that calling that responsibility. That's an awesome thing. So if you've listened to the first two podcasts, you've already kind of got a feel for who I am if you don't know me. I'm a guy who I spent uh, a lot of years as a police officer. I spent time on the SWAT team. I was a sniper on the SWAT team, firearms instructor, um, all of that sort of thing. And so clearly, you know, part of the premise of this podcast, part of how I explain things and part of how I uh, look to draw comparisons and things, is is exploring manhood via tactics, via combat, um, soldiering, that sort of thing. And, and, and I understand, you know, that's not what everybody's interested in. Um, you know, I'm talking to what I know and trying to, to use what I know to help uh, draw some examples and help you to think. Um, hopefully, that isn't a turnoff to you. Hopefully, even if you, you don't find yourself particularly uh, connecting with someone who is dripping in testosterone and and uh, and gunpowder and and muscle bound freak kind of arm wrestling nonsense that you might think I am. Hopefully, you can look past that if that's not something you're particularly drawn to or can connect with, and you can find something that you would gain from uh, the efforts that I'm putting forward here. I, I hope so. I want to uh, talk today. If you've looked at my um, title, my title is Digging Your Ninety. And uh, so I mentioned that to my wife. I said, hey, if you, if you saw the title, Digging Your 90, what would you say? And she says, like 90s music? Like liking 90s music? Now, nah. I want to I paint a picture in your mind first off. I want to paint a picture in your mind. Think about uh, some movie you've watched, um, some, some show you've watched about, I don't know, the Navy SEALs or about Delta or about uh, SWAT teams or something like that. And so I want you to, 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 I want to paint this picture in your mind. It's dark out, um, their focus, you, you know, your camera or your vision focuses on a house and you see that there's a, a line of, of armed men who are walking up uh, to it. They, they're moving quietly, they're, they're in a line, they're in a stack and, uh, and as you look at them, you know, they're, they're all uh, uh, kitted out in armor and body armor, helmets, They've got rifles, uh, maybe they're using night vision, whatever it is, right? Your kind of quintessential picture of, of, a, a, of a SEAL team or of a SWAT team walking up on a house. And as you watch them walk out, you're going to watch that they're silently moving up the house, right? Their, their guns are not up to their, 
to their eyes, but they're holding it. They're ready in case something should happen. They're walking quietly. They come to a stop before the door, and one or two of them walk up quietly, and they and they slip something on the door, which we're going to recognize in a moment as some sort of a breaching charge. It's going to blow that door off. So then uh, there's a silent countdown, and next thing you see a flash of light and some smoke. That front door is now blown in, and this uh, this stack of, of men here begin to, to move toward this doorway. And and so what is it that they're doing? You know, this is something that on the SWAT team we practiced all the time. This was what we did, you know, in, in, in just about any operation that we were going to do, whether it was serving a search warrant or there was a barricade. Um, we had to go in into a, a house and find somebody, whatever it was. We were going to find ourselves in a position where we were going to have to enter into a structure or enter into rooms individually. This is one of those things that, you know, you watch on uh, TV and movies and it's like this super cool, you know, right? You see these guys and they're right there by the door. Maybe one of them will throw a flashbang inside, boom, and then they just kind of run in, you know, and they're looking for the bad guy. They're going to shoot him up. They're going to do all that sort of stuff. And you watch you know, in this movie, in your mind, whatever it, you're, you're envisioning, you know, and, and here these, these men, these trained warriors are going room by room, right? And they move through the house and they're going to find whatever it is they're going to find. They're going to fight whatever fight it is that they have to fight. That's what they're going in there for. And of course, movies haven't done a really good job of, of showing how this is really done because, you know, we want to see the excitement. We want guys to go running in and shooting bad guys or whatever it is. But there are, there are some things that are done when you are making entry into a house that you have to do. And the reality is, is you don't just barge in when you're, when you're in a position like this. These soldiers or SWAT team members, whatever it is, you know, when they're getting ready to go from the known area, which is the outside, to the unknown area, which is the inside of that house or the inside of that room, they don't just go running in there. There's some work that is done outside of the door. So for the SWAT team that I was on, you know, if the door was already open when we walked up to it, that first guy would slowly begin to move his way across that doorway. And what he's doing is, is he's staying on one side of the open door and with his rifle somewhat up, he's ready to kind of snap it up and fire if he needs to. He begins slowly, one little piece at a time, one little step at a time, moving across that doorway. And every time, as his view inside of that doorway is increasing, He's searching and he's looking for if there's any bad guys who were in there. We call it slicing the pie, right? You're going to take one little slice at a time, opening up your field of view, so that by the time you cross to the other side of that door, you've been able to see a pretty good portion of that room from the open door without even stepping in. Once he gets to the other side of the door, then the guy who was behind him is now on the side that he just came from. And now they're both looking in and they're both seeing, basically, if you can imagine, their, their line of vision is crossing. And they're both examining, again, what they can see. There's going to be a, a, some sort of a communication between them, whether silent or audible. And they're going to make a decision. And that first guy who crossed the door is going to go in. Okay, And he's going to go ahead and step in. And as he steps in, he's going to, to do what we call the hitch step, where he's going to step in the doorway, pause for just a second to do a quick scan, and then he's going to immediately step, and he's going to step to uh, one side of the doorway or the other. And then the other guy, at the same time that the first man begins to step inside the door, the guy on the opposite side is going to be right on his heels. So the, the hope is, is that they're going to be almost simultaneously coming into this room. Okay, this is done because uh, you want to try to do as much of the work as possible uh, look for as many of the dangers as possible if you have to fight from outside of that room. Because basically, once you step inside of that room, if you get in a gunfight or something, 
you're, you're in a world of unknowns. Number one, you're in somebody else's house. You're in somebody else's uh, area. They know it. You don't. Once you step in there, you're limited on where you can go. If I stay outside of that room or outside of that house, and all of a sudden there's a lot of gunfire coming at me, I've got almost unlimited directions I could go to get away from this, right? But as soon as I walk in, now I'm limited. Now I'm limited to however big that particular room is. And in high stress and when bullets are flying or things like that, it's hard to try to find your way out of that relatively small door again if necessary. So, so these are some of the things that are done outside of the door right outside before we walk in before this the seal team or this delta team or the swat team walk in and when they make entry what is done there is one of the most essential one of the most basic and yet one of the most frequently overlooked principle of making entry into a room or into a house okay what they do then is they do what's called digging their 90. you dig your 90 you dig your corner and what that means is, is you've already looked at a good portion of that room before you even walked in. And so there is, you know, if it's a, a, a house or a room and the doorway is in the center of that room. So when you walk in, the room's going to extend to your right and to your left. You may have looked at that room from outside and you've been able to see a good portion of it. But as soon as you walk in, there's still two areas that you have not seen. You haven't seen the deep corner on your right and the deep corner on your left. And so... This most essential and most basic, basic yet frequently overlooked entry principle is as soon as you make entry into that door, as soon as you step into that threshold, you immediately need to step, make one or two steps towards that corner that you're going to choose to go to and make sure that you look to that corner. We call it digging your corner. So you step in the threshold, you immediately make a turn to whichever corner you are going to go to, and the guy behind you is going to go opposite you. But you're going to turn, you're going to take two steps towards that corner, and what are you doing? You're going to look for threats in that corner because you haven't seen there. And this is important. This is something that um, is easy for guys to forget. You know, we do this entry training. We used to do it all the time, and that was one of the big things is you... You know, you were always being reminded and you always had to remember to dig your corners. Why? Because bad guys like corners. Because that's the one area, uh, the corner of the room that you can't see from the outside without sticking your head in or actually making entry. And so in reality, it's a huge threat area, right? Because if you just walk right in, if you in your mind have said, okay, I know a bad guy is somewhere in here, but inside of this master bedroom... I can see there's a doorway to a bathroom over there, and I'm betting if I were the bad guy, I'm going to be in the bathroom. And so it's easy when you're doing an entry like this, you can imagine, right, the excitement, the adrenaline and all that. Maybe you throw a flashbang in there, and you're like, in my mind, I know where the bad guy's going to be. And so you step in that room, and you begin to go where you think he's going to be, and you forget the corners, and that's oftentimes where your threats are. And as soon as you miss that corner, you take a step or two inside and you haven't turned immediately to address that corner, now you're going to be shot or you're going to be attacked from behind. And so it's important that, that, that you know, when, if you were to be doing something like this in the military or as a police officer, this aspect of digging your corners, digging your 90, okay, that 90 degree angle that a corner makes, right? That's why we call it digging your 90. It's essential. You have to do it because it's easy to get focused on, on just getting into a room or where you think a threat is. And so it becomes easy to, to overlook those things that um, your, your mind isn't focused on. So now I've talked you through a real, a real uh, dirty and basic explanation of what happens when 
some sort of a tactical team walks into a room or, or goes into a room. There's some important things, and I, and I think I may have it in my notes to get to later, but you know, if I'm the first guy to walk into a room and I don't dig my 90, okay, and I just move forward, there's, there's a guy who's going to be coming right behind me. He should be right on my heels. We should almost be touching as we break that doorway. And if I don't dig my 90, okay, but he digs his like he's supposed to. His back is fully exposed to the corner that I didn't even look at. So, so we're talking about things here that not only puts you personally at risk, but also at others. And so, all right, I talked you through all this. Now, how am I going to draw this into manhood? I want to talk to you guys today about digging your 90s in your life. I want you to, to, to think about digging the corners in your life. And what am I really talking about? I'm talking about fighting impulsiveness. I'm talking about fighting lack of self-control. I'm talking about taking time to evaluate, to evaluate your decisions, to evaluate your actions, to consider a couple of things. And so that's what I want to spend some time talking about today. And I, and I hope that um, as we go through here, you're going to understand how I'm drawing these two principles together. But what I want to do now is I want to read a scripture out of Romans in the seventh chapter. And I'm going to begin in verse 21. It says this, Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, Evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So what Paul's saying, he says, is, you know, I'm looking at myself and I see that I want to do good, but every time I want to do things the right way, there's always the potential for trouble. Satan is always there and he's looking for a way to get at me. He says, you know, in, in my heart, in my mind, I want, I want to follow God. You know, the inward man, my heart and my soul wants to follow God. But I see that there's something else, that there's always something else. You know, Satan has got access to us. He has access to us, just like God has access. You know, God can, can speak to us by his spirit and encourage us in our hearts and our minds and, and help us to know things we should or shouldn't do. But we have to understand this. You know, last, last podcast, I talked about Job. And what did we see? We saw in Job this fact of life is that God has access to us, but Satan also has access. And Paul's saying that. He says, you know, I want to do good, but I recognize that there is this, there is this war that is going on, and it's that Satan is trying to influence me away from the things that I want to do good and wants to bring me into captivity to the law of sin that's in my members. Okay, what that means is, is this law of sin, this, this carnal this manly, or this not manly, but human desires that we have to do things that are best for us, that make me happy, that make me satisfied, that aren't necessarily the ways of Christ. So Paul's saying, he's, he's recognizing this, and he's like, man, I hate this. I hate that this is going on. And, and, I, and I'm betting that you've probably seen this in your life. I'm betting that you've probably seen this, that, that sometimes you find yourself being, being tempted. Just a thought enters into your mind. Uh, you take a, a, a moment to consider it, and next thing you know, it runs you down a path um, that you do something that you shouldn't have done or that you have, uh, have um, uh, made uh, terrible mistakes because of it or you find yourself digging yourself in a pit, and it just starts so easy. You know, why does that happen? It happens because... Satan has got access to us, just like God has got access to us. And we're the ones who are going to have to learn how to make a choice. You know, as men, we often get so focused on things. We get focused. And, and, and sometimes when we get focused, we don't consider threats that could be there to our safety, to others' safety. 
Um, we get focused. It's just like I'm talking about this, making entry into a room. Uh, imagine, so a couple years ago, I say a couple years ago, probably maybe 15, Bob Hedrick, who is a who was a captain of the Mesa Fire Department, uh, he, he set it up so that there was this um, abandoned building that was going to be, uh, or maybe it wasn't going to be destroyed, but there was this abandoned building, right? And, and he set it up that we could play paintball in there. Super cool, right? All we had to do is just paint some of the graffiti on it. So it was awesome. And, and some of you guys who are going to listen to this, you guys were there. And you understand that, you know, that was probably your first exposure, and many of you probably your only exposure to room-to-room or house-to-house style of fighting that kind of like I'm talking about. And, you know, it, it's hard when, when you're focused on, you know somebody is inside of this room and you want to beat them, it's hard to remember that if I walk into that room or if I don't consider the steps I take, that I could be putting myself in danger and other, and other people. Why? Because we get focused. We get focused on a goal. We get focused on a desire. And so, you know, I, I had mentioned this before. What's the risk when we don't dig our 90? When we go into something and we don't consider all of the areas that a threat or that a danger could come from. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on that because I'm going to give you some examples that I want you to think about. We make these decisions all the time and sometimes we make them because we're impulsive. Men, especially young men, but men in general, were impulsive. What does impulsive mean? Doing things or tending to do things suddenly and without careful thought. Without spending a few moments considering what you're about to do before you do it. We're impulsive. We're impulsive because I want to do this, because it makes me happy, it makes me feel good, because I think this is the right decision. And, and we, we, we make decisions, we do something, we go somewhere, we say something without giving it thought. And sometimes we end up putting ourselves at risk or we put others at risk. We expose somebody else to danger because of our impulsive thoughts. Men, right, especially young men, but men in general, sometimes we have a hard time with self-control. And, and here's the thing. It's hard to control yourself when you have time, opportunity, and ability. If you don't have any money, it's, it's hard to go out and, and, and blow $1,000 on something, right? If you don't live next to a store... Um, or you don't live anywhere near a bar, it's hard to go to a bar and, and get absolutely hammered, right? Uh, but self-control is difficult when you have time, opportunity, and ability. And, and I'm talking about things like time alone with a girl, right? If you have the time, the opportunity, and the ability to get yourself in trouble with your girlfriend, if you don't have control over yourself, if you don't have a, an extreme measure of self-control, you might find yourself not digging your 90s and finding yourself uh, in serious trouble because you didn't consider the things that you were doing. And, and we'll talk about that some more. You know, this this podcast right here is I'm giving you just a glimpse. I'm giving you just a kind of a, um, a trailer into one of these other foundational principles of being a man. Last podcast, I talk about the foundational principle of being a man, which is friendship and love. Uh, one of these other foundational principles of being a man is being a warrior. Okay, A warrior is trained. A warrior is controlled, self-controlled. A warrior is patient. A warrior is tactical. You know, that word tactical, it's, it's using varied skills, observations, experience, experience of others to make decisions and to take actions. That's what a, a warrior is. And, and I'm, we're going we're gonna to take a glimpse into that here. So let's keep going here. I want to read a scripture. I want to read a scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. And it says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, 
Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, we need to understand that we have an adversary. He's the devil. And I don't think sometimes we recognize Peter is saying, pay attention, be vigilant, be ready to fight at any time. And he says, your adversary, the devil, he's a roaring lion and he's walking about looking for people to eat. He's looking to destroy people. The reality is, is we wouldn't ignore a lion. If you walked outside your door today and you saw a lion, it wouldn't be something that you would overlook. That's Satan's attributes, as he's a lion looking to destroy. But the reality is, is he's not facing you and he's not uh, trying to influence you. He's not putting opportunity in front of you that looks like a giant lion. He's putting opportunity. He's putting decisions and things like that that looks like success in your career. He's putting uh, temptations and difficulties and he's looking to, to get you with things that look like the pretty girl wearing her running clothes that's going down the street. These are the things that he's doing. If he was a lion, if there was uh, somebody there in, a, in a, a red suit with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, you would know what to do. I'm going to go the other way. But the reality is, is that in the way he's working? So how do we recognize Satan? You know, we need to be uh, patient, controlled, tactical in our decision making. Before we make decisions, before we go somewhere, before we do that, we need to take a few moments to consider a few things. To consider our actions, to consider our thought process, to consider what our goals are. Let's let's move on here. You know, here's the reality is it's easy to get super focused, right? I'm the kind of guy who I get super focused on things. If I'm building something, you know, I'm out in my shop and I'm building something and it's, and you know, and I have something's not working quite right. Something's not setting the way it should. I'm not quite square where I need it or something like that. You know, it may be time for me to... Uh, to close up shop for the day and go eat dinner and all that. And I may even be sitting on the couch with my wife and she's talking to me and I'm super focused. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. I'm super focused on all that and I'm missing other things. It's easy for us to get super focused. It's easy to um, want something for ourselves. You know, as men, we're programmed to succeed, right? That's, that's part of something that's the programming within us. We're programmed to succeed. We're programmed to try to win. Men are competitive, most men are competitive. Why? Because there's there's this thing within us that is programmed to succeed and to win. We're programmed to progress. We're programmed to pursue. We're programmed to pursue. And what is it that directs us and what we want to succeed in, to win in, to progress in, to pursue? It's our own desires. Okay. This isn't exactly bad. It's not exactly bad to be focused. It's not exactly bad to want to succeed. It's not exactly bad to want to win, to progress in life, to pursue things. That's not exactly bad. But we need to understand something. You know, I, I have in my notes here, I have that. It's, it's not exactly bad. And then I have in bold, underlined, capitalized letters, the word but. And now I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 25. Paul says this, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What is Paul saying here? He says, everyone who's looking to accomplish something... Okay, the only way you're going to accomplish something is if you're temperate in it, is if you do it in a controlled manner. Okay, we do it in a controlled manner. It says, but you know, 
when we're talking about these humanistic things, it says that, you know, that, that that's for a corruptible crown, something that's not going to last. You know, if you are focused and you're passionate about uh, progressing in your job or something like that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But understand, you don't get to take that job with you or the millions of dollars you make, or the great retirement, or whatever it is. We know that, right? And you've heard that said. The reality is, though, is even though we hear that said, it doesn't stop us as men from from being programmed and from having this desire to do well, to progress, um, to, to promote all those things. But, you know, we need to understand this, is that, you know, the Lord calls us to temperance, to be tempered. Tempered is is something that is that is balanced in the way it's 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 put together, right? It's not too much of one thing and not too much of another. So Paul says in verse twenty six, he says, "I therefore so run, not as uncertainly." He says, "I'm moving in a direction, but not just without any any uh, course in mind." He says, "So fight I, not as one that beateth the air." He says, "I'm not just swinging my fists. I'm not running for no reason. I know where I'm going and what I'm doing." And he says, "I do it because I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I bring it into subjection." And what he means is, is that he, you know, the gospel of Christ. This next sentence he talks about that he's preached it to others is what brings him and his decisions and his fight in life and his course where he's running to. The gospel of Christ brings his human and his men manly desires into subjection, under control. This is what I, I want us to do. You know, we have a manual for how to do things. I realize that the, the, the Bible, I realize that the Book of Mormon, and a lot of times it's not always easy to read or it's not always easy to understand things. So I get it why sometimes we're reluctant to go and look at the manual that tells us how to do it. And the reality is, is men don't like to take directions anyway. We, we throw out the manual with almost everything that we buy. And then inevitably, when things don't go together correctly, then we're digging through the garbage can, right? Trying to find it again. Let's not be that. Let's not be that as men. You know, we, we have this, this manual that tells us how to do things. And really, it, it's, it's not as complicated as we might like it to think. You know, Christ speaks plainly. Christ speaks plainly, and he talks about these things. He talks about how we're supposed to look at others, right? He talks about how we're supposed to treat others. He talks about what our goals are supposed to be. And then as you begin to, to branch out from the words of Christ and you look at the, the words in, in the New Testament and you look at some of the stories and things that you read in the Old Testament and you read some of the Psalms of David and the Proverbs of Solomon, these things that give wisdom and direction, you'll see that it's all talking about the same things. There is a manual that helps us to bring our human mind, our manly desires unto God's subjection. Okay, under his control, and that's how we're successful. But if we're not willing to consult the manual, if we're not willing to um, to take a few moments to consider our thoughts, our desires, our actions, what our what our purpose is, um, what our goals are, then what we're doing is is we're fighting to obtain a corruptible crown, something we're not going to take with us. God has promised so much more from us, and so th- this is really what I'm talking about, you know, in this analogy of entering a room as a soldier or as a SWAT team member or whatever it is, being so super focused that you forget to dig your 90s. I'm talking about this same thing in life, where you're so super focused on uh, progressing in your job that you forget that you're opening yourself up to uh, not having time around uh, the men who are in your life who can encourage you and strengthen you in times of trial. You're, you're, you're not digging your 90s. You're so focused on that that you're uh, missing going to church and the strength and the encouragement that goes there, things like that. We need to be willing to, to take a look and not to be impulsive, 
right? So I want to talk about some other things here. Being focused, being programmed to succeed, like I said, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad as long as we evaluate our priorities. And so I have some things here that I've written here. A man should ask himself. You know, as we're making decisions, as we're planning for our life, as we're planning for our night out with our friends, as we're planning for our date with our girlfriend, um, as we're planning how we're going to spend the extra overtime money from the hard work I did last week or whatever it is, ask yourself, okay, this is part of this work that that this team that I was talking about does before they even enter into a room. There's some work that's done outside the door. And that's what I'm asking for you to do. I'm asking for you to do some work outside the door before you go into an area where you might not recognize all of the threats. Ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish? What am I trying to accomplish in where I'm going, in what I'm doing, And who I'm going with, what am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to uh, benefit my job? Am I trying to spend time with someone to encourage them? Uh, Do I need some encouragement myself? Am I looking to fulfill my own lustful desires? Whatever it is, what am I trying to accomplish? Is what I'm trying to accomplish, is it what I'm, what I'm trying to, uh, to accomplish for myself and what I'm doing, where I'm going, who I'm going with? Does it line up with the ideals, does it line up with those things that we should be looking to accomplish from the manual that tells us how to get to this incorruptible crown? A man should ask himself, what is my purpose? Not just your purpose in life, although that's something that you should consider deeply and you should revisit it frequently. What's my purpose? But in whatever decision I'm going to make, what is my purpose? Is the purpose of this decision I'm going to make tonight when I'm going to go with my girlfriend out to dinner, is it for my own pleasure? Is it for the pleasure of others? Do I want to just have fun? Is it for career advancement? And however I answer that, what I need to do is I then need to ask the next question. Who that I have some responsibility for is or could be affected by what I'm doing? Who do you have responsibility for? First and foremost, you have responsibility for yourself. The decisions that I'm making... I I know what it's like to make decisions with women that are dangerous and that uh, result in regrets. Had I spent some time in self-control and doing a little bit of work outside of the doorway, I would have looked at my purpose and realized it was my own pleasure. And uh, so often, you know, if I would have if I would have taken up the mantle of godly manliness and maturity, I would have realized that my own purpose was selfish. That it was really only to build myself up. And had I spent some time uh, asking others and, and considering their experiences and their wisdom, I might have found that I was opening myself up to a great deal of danger. And I'm here to tell you that I got shot in the back a lot of times because I didn't dig my 90s. Because I went into a situation focused on what I wanted to do or what I wanted to accomplish. And I forgot to, to consider every threat that could have been there. I went in places I should not have gone. And in some places that were that seemed to be harmless, I walked into and I forgot to look in the corners and I still got shot. Hopefully you're, you're, you're following my metaphor there. So who that I have some responsibility for is or could be affected by what I'm doing? That first person I'm responsible for is myself. But if, if you've listened to my two previous podcasts, you're going to see that, that I've alluded to it several times and I've, and I've made the statement there that as a man, you have some level of responsibility for everyone you cross paths with. You have some level of responsibility, whether you like it or not. Okay, years and years ago, Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model. He didn't have a choice. And I want you to realize that you don't have a choice. You affect people whether you want to or not. So the reality is, 
is own up to it. Take that responsibility. Uh, consider it. Someone didn't have a choice in being your role model. You looked up to people and they might have never wanted to be. And their decisions could have affected you negatively or positively. We're always responsible for somebody else. There's always people who are in our life that our decisions are going to have an effect on. Some of them are direct effects, right? Uh, every decision I make is going to affect my wife and my children. Some of them are more indirect. The decisions that I make uh, might affect the members of the congregation that I'm a, a minister in. But we need to understand that you have some level of responsibility for everyone you cross paths with. So young men, as you're listening to this, if you have a girlfriend, you have responsibility for her. You have been given responsibility of some part of her soul. So what is your purpose? And what are you trying to accomplish? And who that you have responsibility for is or could be affected by what you're doing. There's some work you need to do outside the door. As we, uh, we prepare to make entry into a room, we have to ask ourselves those same questions, right? So in the SWAT team, there was, we had to ask ourselves those questions. As we, um, if the door was closed, we open the door, you know, we'd pop that door open and we'd, we'd open it up and then we'd let it breathe for a second, right? What we meant, we'd say, let that door breathe, which means as soon as the door opens, we're not just barging in. We're going to open it up and we're going to listen. Right? Because sometimes when you pop that door open, there's a guy hiding in there somewhere who says, You come in, I'm going to kill you. Am I going to go in that door? Because I know if I walk in there, I'm going to get in a fight. Or am I going to consider the risks and find out if there's more appropriate options that I can do? As you prepare yourself to make decisions in your life, I want you to fight impulsiveness. I want you to, to, to grasp hold of self-control. And I want you to ask yourself questions. Are there risks associated with the decisions that I'm making? Who might be uh, affected by those things that I choose to do? Are there other means that I can address these things? So I want to I spend a couple minutes now. I want to talk about some of these uh, decisions, some of these things that, that I look at, that these are failures that I had in my life, that had I taken a few minutes to consider, had I, had I gone forward with some maturity, and, and that's a subject that I'm going to talk about on a later podcast, maturity, okay? Because that's really essential parts of this manhood thing is being mature. Had I, had I looked at things with a little more maturity, I might have not suffered quite as much as I have in my life. Because I made impulsive decisions, some of them were intentional because I only wanted my own pleasure. Some of them were uh, just because I put myself in situations that seemed right, but had I asked a mentor, had I asked someone who's been there, done that, had I spent a couple of minutes considering it, I might have find my, found myself in a little bit better position. So what's one of these things I have written here? Going to a woman's house. I would add in there like uh, going somewhere alone with a woman. I'm sure many of us, if not all of us who are listening to this, have been there. A girlfriend, you got a date, and I guess here I'm, I'm going to talk about men who are not married. Or, or perhaps there's some men here and, and this is something that's, you know, maybe you've had a, a trouble in your marriage. And maybe it happened because we opened up a door in being with a woman alone for whatever the reason was. Maybe it was professional. Maybe it was on a friendship level. Maybe it was with your girlfriend. Whatever it was, okay? But we opened up a door and we decided to go into a room. We made entry into a situation here without considering everything. And what is it that happens? You know, that self-control I talked about, right? If we have time, ability, and opportunity. And, and this is so often what happens. It, it might be that I simply go to my girlfriend's house, and my intention is, is I'm simply going to pick her up, and we're going to go to a movie. We're going to go to dinner. 
whatever it is. But, you know, I get invited in. And as a, as a, a, a mature man, as someone who is concerned about those people that are around me, I need to be looking at this situation ahead of time and considering what are all the threats that can be there. Am I going to be tempted in there? If I walk in there, is there going to be a situation presented that I might not be able to stop myself? Here's the thing. Guys, once we get wound, right, it's hard to slow ourselves down, isn't it? I'm not the only one who's been there. And so what, what's better? That I try to reverse a course when I've already started something with my girlfriend or that I don't even put myself in that position. You know, that's just something for you to think about. What's one of these? What's a, another one of these things that I've fallen prey to? Anger. This is the reality, right? Feelings and emotion. We can't necessarily stop our feelings. We can't necessarily stop our emotions. Something makes me mad. It, it's made me mad, right? Now I can work on and I can try to, you know, to, to, to ask the Lord to help me and I can work on things in my life to try to avoid this emotion of anger welling up. But the reality is, is that we're always going to have emotions. We're always going to have feelings that come up and it doesn't matter if I think you should be upset about this or not. The reality is, is that you are. So emotions happen, but what do we have? We have the ability to decide where we let that emotion go. In my life, I found situations that made me angry. And rather than being self-controlled, rather than considering the course of my action, you know, I let myself get in fights where it would have been better to walk away. I punched walls. I scared people. All of those things. There are, there are times when we need to, uh, when, when emotion is good. There are times when emotion is important. But the reality is, is that we need to be in control. I, I look at Christ as this in control emotion, right? Look at the scripture where he walked into the temple and there were these money changers in there and people who were selling animals to be uh, sacrificed. And, and, you know, he looked at it and he said, this is not what my father's house was meant to be. And what did Christ do? Was there emotion there? I would say there was as he made himself a whip and began to beat people out of there. And it says he overthrew the tables of the money changers. He lifted them up and flung them. Probably some emotion there, but it was controlled. I don't believe for a second that Christ was out of control. I don't believe that he was uh, that he was overcome with anger or anything. He was controlled in the things that he allowed himself to do. And we need to be the same thing. And, and maybe I haven't um, given a really good explanation of that, but, but uh, consider that. You, you cannot necessarily stop a feeling from happening in your heart or your mind, but you can control where it goes. And we have to do that. You have to do that. A man has to be controlled. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul says that there's all these things that I can do, but not every one of them are fit and good for the purpose and for the time. He says, all things are lawful for me. There's all these things I can do, but I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to let some emotion, I'm not going to let some, some person, some person's thoughts of how I should be or what I should do or any of those things, they're not going to have control over me. I'm going to be in submission and I'm going to be controlled as Christ wants for me to be. We can overcome our humanity if we're willing to submit ourselves to God. I have here some of these uh, things that I, that I struggled with, you know, these rooms I went into. I didn't do the work outside of it, and I found myself in a, in a situation where I was in danger and was wounded. Decisions made by yourself. Because, you know, as men, we want to be independent. We want to be self-sufficient. Um, we want to be able to accomplish things. We want to be successful, 
right? Uh, it makes us feel good to, to build something by ourselves. It makes me feel good to work my way through a trouble or a trial. Those are good things. But there are decisions that we should make, and, there's, and, and it's, not, it's not bad. Uh, a good friend should be looking to the advice and the counsel of other friends and other mentors. And we're going to talk about mentors in a future podcast. But I have here three scriptures, all three of them out of the book of Proverbs. And uh, and it's talking about making decisions. Okay, And the first one is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So what he's saying is, is where you're not getting advice... Where, where a city or, or where a group of people doesn't have someone who are looking forward, who are talking through experience or reasoning through uh, potential dangers or whatever it is, where there's no counsel, the people fall. They make mistakes because left to my own devices, I'm probably going to make more mistakes than I am good decisions. Not because I'm stupid. You're probably going to do the same thing. Not because you're stupid, but because we're oftentimes going to be motivated by what we feel like is best. And, and sometimes we just get so focused, right? We get so focused that we don't look at a picture as big as it truly is. We don't dig our 90s, right? We don't, we don't check our corners. And so it says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Last podcast, I talk about having good moral friends who are willing to call you out, who are willing to encourage you, who are willing to be there. You know, these are people who you should be going to. You should be going to when it comes to decisions you're going to make. Proverbs 15.22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. And Proverbs 24 and 6, For by wise counsel thou shalt make war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Some, some good advice there to be, to be as you make decisions, as you go forward in life, you know, you're moving from teenager, from high schooler, from all that to a place where you're going to have to make decisions, college, and then you're looking for for employment, you want to pursue a career, you're looking for a house, you're uh, in a relationship, you want to, uh, you know, we should look and see, we should ask those those good, righteous, moral men around us, hey, what do you think about this relationship? What do you think about this girl that I'm with? Um, we should be We should be looking for people to counsel us in our life. Hopefully a guy who is a moral, strong, successful guy. And I realize not every friend or every mentor you have is going uh, to have it all together. But hopefully anybody who you're going to get some advice from is someone who, who has been successful spiritually in some manners. And then, you know, in the multitude of counselors, right? I'm not going to just ask one person about a decision. You know, right now we've been considering purchasing a, uh, a piece of a business. As we're looking at this, you know, I'm reaching out and I'm asking numerous people, hey, this is what's being pitched in front of me. And I've asked guys that I work with. I've asked guys who are business owners that I that I used to work with. I've asked people in the church. I've asked, you know, my mentors and, and these things. What do you guys think about this? What do you think about this opportunity? Are there things I need to be concerned about, right? This is how it's done. And if every single one of those guys was saying, ah, oh, man, I don't know. This sounds a little fishy. Uh, you might want to be careful about this. That should tell me something. You probably ought not to walk into this room because there might be a threat that you haven't considered ahead of time. So I want I want you to think about this. What are some other things that I have here? I have drinking on here. Drinking. And then I have a question. How much is too much? I realize that not everybody is going to agree with me on this. Okay, But I'm going to tell you this as just something that I have observed over the years I was a police officer. And any police officer who is listening to this podcast will agree with me on this 100%. Family fights, uh, fights that happened, 
uh, between just various people, shootings, road rage, fatal accidents, all that, okay? They have a common theme. A vast majority of them, well over half, have a common theme, and that common theme is alcohol. Why? Because we have a hard time controlling ourselves. How much is too much? At this point, I haven't had alcohol in so long that if I had one beer, I probably wouldn't be thinking the way uh, I would hope to be. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, my personal opinion is I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not even going to touch it. My life is not better for the drink of a beer and it's not worse without it. But because I know that sometimes I can struggle with self-control and others can, I won't touch it. And now you're going to say, well, just because you can't control yourself, Adam, doesn't mean I can't. You're absolutely right. But what I'm going to tell you is, is that you need to be very careful. You have to be very careful because alcohol is one of those rooms that if you are not so very careful, you are going to find yourself shot in the back. And I can't tell you how many people's lives have been changed in an instant because they allowed themselves to go a little bit too far. And man, I just want to encourage you guys to be so very careful. So very careful. Can't tell you how many careers I've seen destroyed by alcohol. I can't tell you how many marriages. I can't tell you how many bad decisions with women. Uh, you know, those sorts of things, they happen all the time, right? And, and I fell into that trap. I fell into that trap. I, you know, I don't know how I, I survived my late teens, early 20s, driving and things like that, having had too much to drink and all that. I mean, it was just not wise, I walked into a room. I was focused on what I wanted to, what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted for myself, what I wanted from others, and uh, and I suffered some serious consequences because of those things. Something else, this, this last one I'm going to talk about that I want us, and I just want to prime your mind on some of these things that come up frequently. I have here looking at suggestive material. I have here looking at pornography. I have here looking at women. And I'm going to tell you that all three of those things are not necessarily tied to each other, but in a lot of ways they are. I remember the year that Sports Illustrated started coming out with the swimsuit edition that was no longer made out of clothing, it was just painted on. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who spent a great deal of time examining those pictures. And why was I examining those pictures? Because I was looking to fulfill some pleasure of myself. You know, how often have you been with other guys or how often do you even do this yourself when you're sitting at lunch or you're getting a drink at Quick Trip or whatever it is and some woman walks in and you begin to look her over? And, and let's be honest, I mean, the, the fashion trends today leave almost nothing to the imagination, right? Yoga pants are the style and I'm here to tell you they are absolutely form-fitting, right? They leave nothing to the imagination. And guys, this is dangerous, right? We're not going to be able to avoid noticing a beautiful woman, but where do we let our mind go? Same thing with suggestive material. Because we can try to, to, to say that pornography is only if you're looking at, you know, uh, pictures of, of, of people showing their private parts or in various acts, sex acts or things like that. But the reality is, is pornography is all around you if you are willing to let your mind go there. Some woman running down the road, it lets you walk into a place, walk into a room in your own mind and put yourself in a place of great danger. I have here in capital letters, bolded and underlined, look away, look away. You have to control yourself. 
I want to I want to read a scripture here, but I'm going to give you a backstory here, and this is out of the Book of Mormon, and I'm going to read in Alma chapter 14 verses 46 to 53. But I'm going to give you the backstory, okay? This is a, a portion of this that's a story about a group of people who were converted to Christ. They were converted to being Christians, and what they had been before was they were a warring people. They were bloodthirsty. Their lives revolved around killing and around brutality. This is what they were, and they were sworn enemies to the Christians, right? But this miraculous event happened, and they were converted. They realized the error of their ways. And so what did they do? They took all of their weapons of war, their swords and their spears and their shields, their bows and all that stuff. They dug holes, and they buried them in the ground. And they did it, and they said, we will never pick up a weapon again to fight. And they did it because they knew within themselves, if we ever pick it up again, we will not be able to control ourselves. We will not even go there. So now I want to read this. Alma chapter 14, beginning in verse 46. And thus we see that when these Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, that they were firm and would suffer even unto death rather than to commit sin. And thus we see that they buried the weapons of peace, or they buried the weapons of war for peace. And it came to pass that their brethren, the Lamanites, made preparations for war and came up to the land of Nephi for the purpose of destroying their king and to place another in his stead and also of destroying the people out of the land. And it came to pass that when the people saw that they were coming against them, they went out to meet them and prostrated themselves before the before them to the earth and began to call on the name of the Lord. And thus they were in this attitude with the, when the Lamanites began to fall upon them and began to slay them with the sword." And thus, without meeting any resistance, they did slay a thousand and five of them. And we know that they are blessed, for they have gone to dwell with their God. And now when the Lamanites saw that their brethren would not flee from the sword, neither would they turn aside to the right hand or to the left, but they would lay down and perish, and praised God, even in the very act of perishing under the sword, Now when the Lamanites saw this, they did forbear from slaying them. And there were many whose hearts had swollen in them for those of their brethren who had fallen under the sword, for they repented of the things for which they had done. And it came to pass that they threw down their weapons of war, and they would not take them again, for they were stung for the murders which they had committed. And they came down even as their brethren, relying upon the mercies of those whose arms were lifted to slay them. All right, so... I apologize for a couple reading mistakes I had in there. But so we understand what it was that was happening there. This group of people, they made this commitment. They said, we have lived such a sinful life that we are not even going to allow ourselves to enter into temptation anymore. They buried their weapons of war. But as all this happened, there were other groups of people who were coming to destroy them. And as these, this other group of people came with their armies and were ready to destroy them, this group of people who had made the covenant never to fight, they went out and they knelt down. And they began to pray to the Lord. There was nothing else they could do. And this attacking army came and began to kill them. And as they began to kill them, they began to notice they're not even fighting. In fact, they're praying and they're praising the Lord. And they stopped and they were touched by it and they changed. Okay, But what's the moral of that story? It's the same moral of the story that Christ talked about in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. He says, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed than to have two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Okay, Christ is saying, it's better if you have this problem that you can't stop looking at women and lusting after them. It's better that you have no eyes. 
so that you don't make these mistakes to your spiritual well-being that will affect you for eternity. It's the same thing that these people did. They threw down, they buried their weapons of war. They said, we're not going to pick them up again. We could certainly fight, but if we do, we will not be able to stop ourselves. And we cannot live with that. All right, we're talking about self-control. We're talking about fighting impulsiveness. Christ is saying, fight the battle from without the door. Look and see what the possibility of your actions are. And if it's a danger, don't go there. Don't go there. You know, as a SWAT team, we would not go into a room where when we open the door, there's a guy somewhere in there yelling, I've got a gun and I'm going to kill you if you walk in here. Uh, We're going to stop and we're going to use some different options because there's no reason to walk in there. The risk is too high. Why would I even risk that? I have options. And I want you to think about that. I want to read another scripture here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, in this reading, it talks about putting on the armor of God, right? But Paul is saying, he says, understand where the battle is, right? At youth camp, If you are in the spiritual warfare class, you have this pounded into you. The battlefield is in your mind. This is where the battle is waged. And it's not a battle where you're actually going to have to pick up a sword or fire a gun. It's going on inside of your mind all the time. And men, there is a battle that is going on inside of your mind. And you need to be considering the decisions that you're making. You need to be considering the places you are going. You need to be doing the work outside of those rooms before you walk in and put yourself in a place of danger. And when you do make a decision, check your 90. Dig your corner. Be aware of anything that could be a threat. Be careful about what you do so that you or someone else is not gravely wounded by decisions that you make. You know, I want to, as I'm drawing to a close, I want to tell you, I had heard this story once and I, and I wish, I could, wish I could say who had this experience. And even if it's just a story, which I don't think it is, I, I'm trying to remember who gave this, who told me this experience. But it's something that has been, that's been on my mind, especially when we're talking about decisions that we make and not thinking through all of the risks that are there. This particular woman, she had been doing something in her life, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know, it was something that she knew she should not be doing. It was right on that edge of appropriate and not appropriate. It was sinning. And she had this experience where I don't remember if it was she woke up um, in her room or whatever it was, but she woke up and, and there was there at her bed, there was a demon there, clearly an evil thing. And she asked him, why are you here? And this particular image or this particular thing, this demon said, you invited me here. You know, I I want us to think about that, that there are these things that happen in our life and bad so oftentimes happens to us because we made some sort of actions to invite it. We need to be so careful. We need to fight impulsiveness. We need to seek for self-control. Christ talks about building a tower. He says that, you know, you build a tower, don't you make sure that you are able to complete it? Proverbs talks about where there's no vision, the people fail. You need to be looking at life. You need to be looking at your decisions in a controlled manner. You need to be considering your options. Be patient. Consider outcomes. Ask for the wisdom, the direction, the advice of others. Experience is going to form some wariness. My years of being a police officer, because I had enough experience, I began to see all of the warning signs when somebody was going to want to fight me. I saw actions and I saw things. Outside the door, before I even walked in, I knew there was going to be trouble. And I can't tell you how many times I, I was dealing with suspects or with people 
And there were some things that I began to recognize were warning signs, and I stopped them before they pulled a gun or before they pulled a knife or before they took a swing. These are things that we need to be able to look at ahead of time and that we're careful and we're cautious about decisions we make where we go. So I want to encourage you today. I hope that this particular podcast, that all of my thoughts, that you can that you can make sense of them, that you can understand that I'm trying to encourage us to, to not go through life just letting life happen. But to be, uh, to be patient, to be controlled, to fight impulsiveness, to look to make good decisions, to consider your options, ask for the wisdom of others, be careful in what you do, recognize that you have responsibility over more than just yourself. There are others who are going to be affected by your decisions. Don't be afraid of that. Embrace that. It's a privilege. Dig your 90s. Arise from the dust and be men.